notice that sometimes my I, I get comfortable in my prayer time, okay, and I just start talking to God about things, you know, instead of talking about the Spirit. And and Audrey just shared with us, she's very vulnerable about how God has been working in her spirit and how she's responded to that. And uh, I just spent a week and a half on the road, and that gave me way too much time to think. And and then I sat down with uh, with Evan, and uh, he said something during our meeting, and it was just like, this is it. This is time to uh, not just pray about situations. Of course we should pray about situations. Like, for example, a dam just got destroyed in Ukraine this week that has caused all kinds of damage and wrecked havoc. They're like, uh, like we can't even imagine. Yes, we should pray about that. Uh, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you have a situation that you would like us to be praying about, we have cards back there, and you could write that out on a prayer card, drop it in the box, or even better yet, you could catch myself or Evan or one of our elders and just say, hey, I have a situation I really want bathed in prayer. And before you leave, we can pray with you about that, okay? So what are we going to do now in this time? Well, this time we're going to talk about spiritual things. We're going to pray about those things. What are the things that God wants to produce in our lives? Apparently, he wanted to let Audrey know something, and he let her know. And what's he been telling us? And how can we as a, as a family of believers, how can we as a, as well, a group of Christians encourage one another on towards love and towards good deeds to grow and to mature in the spiritual life. So I know this is going to require some vulnerability, and I know it's going to probably provide a lot of awkward silence. That's okay. That's okay. Awkward silence is all right. And we might not have as many prayer requests as we normally do on a given Sunday. That's okay, too. We can really lean into the ones that have been shared. But in the last few weeks, Evan's been talking to us a lot, and Justin also has talked to us about some things uh, about leadership. And leadership obviously requires some growth. And obviously the church is always looking for good leaders, and that means that we all should be growing in some way, maturing in some way. So here's going to be the prompt that we'll give you this week, is how do you feel God is wanting you to mature? In what areas of your life do you feel God is kind of saying, you know, here's an area where I want you to lean in, I want you to step up, or or something like that? For example, we've heard a lot about forgiveness. Okay, maybe that's an area uh, some of us need to to grow in, uh, to be give to be be forgiving people, um, to be willing to ask for forgiveness. Uh, to maybe grow in our understanding of how deeply and wonderfully God has forgiven us. Uh, there's so many different ways that we could apply that. But uh, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm uh, going to pray that God's Spirit speaks to your heart, and then, uh, oh, Evan, who's running the mic? you got the mic. Okay, so Pastor Evan will run the mic, and if there's something that you feel God is saying, I really want I really want to see you grow here, and I want my spirit to bring that growth in your life. Uh, then we're going to ask you to share that, and we're going to pray for you uh, today. All right? So let me pray real quick, and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit, we appeal to you now that you would do what you do best, and that's make us aware. <laughs> of where we need more of Jesus in our life. 
so Lord, would you just speak into our hearts and our, into our souls today? And right now in this moment, Lord, would you reveal to us uh, what it is that you've been wanting us to know uh, and what you want us to lean into? And so, God, we pray that that would happen for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that in his name. Amen. All right. So here we go. Evan's poised and ready. Who wants to start us off in this very vulnerable prayer time? Where's an area where you feel God is saying, Here's a good place to grow. So for me, uh, I've noticed in my life there's a lot of uh, things that I love very deeply, but there's only a few of them. And there's lots of small things that I have sympathy for or... um, you know, an understanding of, but no love of. And I need to widen those things that I can accept and love. Okay. All right. Thank you, Zach. Thanks, Tatiana. Um, uh, about situations that's happening in uh, um, in our lives and around us, um, just want to prayer for um, our re- reaction on that, so we can, um, like, for example, it's not just what's happening around the world, but also in our lives. Or if you're going through pain, do not focus focus on that don't do your life around it um, but to uh, step step back and to see God God perspective and um, what to do in your life so I, I pray for anxiety or fear or whatever you have um, problems when you reacting on them situations Right. Thank you, Tatiana. That's man. That was good for my own prayer life. Just to when I see a situation that gets me all wrapped up, to to think about, well, how do I react to it? How would Jesus respond to this situation? That's a great place to grow, Josh. So um, this week I was uh, God really convicted me uh, via Facebook memories, <laughs> which you know if you look at those. You sometimes see the person that you you used to be, and that person that you used to be and what you used to believe is diametrically opposed to who you are now. Um, this particular memory was a three-paragraph rant by me about the need for secular humanism and the failures of religion and basically how we didn't need religion. And uh, an acquaintance of mine commented on that post and said, she said, I'll pray for you. And to me at that time, I thought that was, I scoffed at that. And so when I look back at that and see where I've grown now and how angry and closed off my heart was and to where I am now and my love of Jesus and everything that has brought me and my family and the goodness in this church, um, I think that's some growth and maturity there. So, and I just want to keep following that same path and never go back to that angry, arrogant man that I was. Okay. Thank you, Josh. 
Hi, I'm Joey. Um, for those of you that don't know, I am an elder in this church. And over the past couple of weeks, um, partially I think sparked by a conversation I had with uh, Tyrese, who's really fervent in prayer and in the spirit. I was really convicted by his fervency in prayer. And it basically convicted me of, I, as an elder, you know, very much charged to shepherd the flock and to be very diligent and responsible and prayerful about you all. And I have really been convicted that I've been failing in that. So I want to be better about praying for you all regularly and also just being thankful for you all. And I think one of the things I want to start and this one hits really close to home I have not nearly been thankful enough for my own wife who leads kids church day in or every week, week in, week out. Um, But she's doing a lot. And I want to pray for her and also the kids that are down there because I mean, we're all in our, you know, own places with Christ, but I mean, these, these kids are very, I mean, you know, the parents, like they're at a very impressionable age, very formable. And this church is in part responsible for how these kids grow and mature and Lord willing accept Christ one day. So I just want to pray for them in that. And then also for Lindsay in that and give thanks to her for that. So, yeah. Thank, thank you, you Joy. All. And we all are thankful for Lindsay and uh, her work down there. And we're thankful for you, Joy. Thank you for sharing that. Um, hello. Yes. Um, yeah, here recently, I'm, God's been talking to me, and, and, like, he's been, like, he really just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, like, I feel God calling me. It's like he's saying, you know, it's time. Enough is enough. I've given you gifts. You're here. I, I have a purpose. I have a plan for you. Step out of the way and let me show you what that is. And I'm realizing that part of my problem is I let everything else get in the way of what God is trying to do. Instead of focusing on God, I'm focusing on myself and everything else that's around me and that I can't control, have no control over. It's finally at that point to where I'm just, I, I'm just going to, I have to trust him and let him take me, you know, where he wants me to go. You know, because I feel that something, that he's got something big he's pushing me towards right now. So, okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, Mary. Mary, you get points for the best wave. (laughs) Um, Hi, I'm Mary. Um, The biggest thing I think that God is showing me is that my husband and I have fallen back into some old sin patterns. And um, I don't know whether it's true or not, but my friend Chris works right next door to some place that we frequent quite often. And um, I feel very convicted about going there all the time, but my husband does not. And so um, if you would pray for God to give him conviction, because I can't help him. And I don't want to be in the position that I'm in right now to be the caregiver to get my husband home when he's had too much to drink. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Um, so we're going to pray now, and, and each of you that shared, you may not realize, you know, as you were thinking about your own situation, that every single one of us in this room could probably say, 
Amen. <laughs> yeah, I need that too. Um, and so that's the beauty of this. We still get to pray as a family, uh, praying for one another, praying with one another, and really praying the same things where two or three are gathered together in agreement. Um, and God is there and he's bearing witness uh, to his work in our lives. So if you would today, I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Um, if you would just bow with us and I'm going to pray for these uh, uh, these desires that God has given for our growth. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, those who were courageous enough today to, to share some things that aren't easy to share um, in front of other people, to, uh, to just be willing to cry out in front of their brothers and sisters and say, I need Jesus. Lord, and we do. Lord, we, we cannot come into this time in this worship service and think that somehow we can get through it without acknowledging our incredible need for you. And Lord, you have reminded us that, uh, that the most important thing about the church is, is just our constant proclamation that the gospel is transformative, that your grace changes our lives. And Lord, today we come to you and, and we ask for your grace, uh, more and more of your grace to come in and to change our lives. Lord, would you give to us a deeper love for the things that maybe right now we're just giving a scant tolerance towards? Lord, especially the things that you love so deeply, would you open our eyes, open our hearts, open our spirits to those things so that we would love them the way that you do and that our lives would be changed by the way we respond to that. God, the situations that come into our lives that might cause fear or anxiety or uncertainty or frustration or anger, uh, even God, help us to know how we can react to those. We need more of a measure of your spirit. So help us to grow uh, with the spiritual fruit that you produce. Help us to respond to things with love and with patience and with kindness and gentleness and, and, and self-control. All of those things, Lord, that we lack in ourselves, would you grow those in us? Father, would you Help us to realize that you're constantly changing our worldview. You're constantly transforming the way we think about things. And, 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 and some of us have come out of a situation where we've approached life not wanting you to be a part of it and thinking that we can somehow pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. God, today, would you cause us to grow in that dependence in you uh, that, and that we would see even deeper and further growth in how you are shaping us and molding us to think differently about this world that we live in and this creation that you made, and especially to think differently about who you are. And God, would you, uh, um, would you help us to, to grow in our prayer for one another? Um, not only do our elders need to be shepherding one another in, in, in this body in prayer, but we need to do that together, Lord. So would you cause us to grow? in our desire to pray, in our conviction, and in our commitment to pray, our devotion to that? Uh, would you cause us to grow in the way that we pray? 
uh, that we wouldn't just fall into old patterns, but constantly, Lord, seeking to pray the same way that you yourself would pray. And Lord, thank you that your spirit intercedes for us. And Lord, we pray for our children's ministry and for uh, the workers down there, Lindsay, Lena, and others who have helped out with that. God, would you just pour your spirit on those kids because we know they're part of your kingdom. And we pray, God, that you would cause them to grow in a knowledge of you and a love for you that will surpass our own. May they be examples to us in their youth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. God, would you help us all to learn how to focus on you and the things that you want for our life. Lord, help us to not be distracted by, well, a lot of good things, but help us to see the essential Thing, the right thing, and that is your kingdom. Help us to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, and to trust that you'll add everything else onto that. And God, each and every one of us in this room can so easily slip back in old sin patterns. We could be tripped up and entangled by something. And when it does, it stunts our, our relationship with you. And it stunts our relationship with one another here in the church and also in our family. So, God, would you bring healing into our families? Would you help us to grow in a sense of repentance and seeing sin for what it is and seeing sin for what it does to our lives? And, Lord, would you just cause us to cry out all the more for your grace that we might experience you more deeply and more fully? Lord, this isn't about us being morally right people. It isn't about us being uh, better people than other people, that sort of thing. Uh, Lord, Christianity is, is just about us latching on to you and the incredible love that you've given to us, the forgiveness that can be secured only through Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us could have absolute assurance about our salvation. Because it just comes down to one thing, and that's trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on that cross and his resurrection from the dead. And now, Lord, in light of that, as our pastor comes forth to speak your word to us, will you cause his word to become your word fully and completely and to become seeds that are planted in our hearts and our spirits today that will bring forth much mature and ripe and good fruit that this world needs to see. God, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, for entering into that and being willing to, to share some of the vulnerable things. And then I just have to, man, commend many of you and, and thank many of you, Audrey, Derek, and, and Nick, for the way that you've shared, um, which recognizes... You know, the severity of sin, just our great need to mature. Um, but I think Christians are usually really good at that. We just tend to then fall into the trap of just only seeing our sin, only seeing our badness. And we can just spiral into the, the what was me, the, the pity me party. When what really needs to be done, as Nick prayed, as Derek reminded us, as Audrey reminded us, is focus on Christ. I'm going to allow him to do the work. And so I just want to thank you guys um, for reminding us of that perspective um, because especially as we are going through the books that we are going through, there are a lot of challenges that come up um, in the books that we're working our way through. Um, this summer, we are in a series called Dear Friends and Fellow Workers, where we're going through the books of Philemon, Titus, and Jude, uh, because it's in these three books that I think we really get a clear picture of church. 
the beauty of church, the beauty of us as a family, but also the challenges um, and the challenge that God is calling us up into. And so we are looking in these three books at the kind of relationships that exist in this community, at the kinds of things that churches should be doing, um, and the kind of leaders that are needed, the kind of people that we are to see ourselves as. And so last week, um, we talked in the beginning of Titus chapter 1 about the need for elders, the need for these very specific kinds of leaders, and the need for them to have high character, the need for elders to really understand what it means to be freed by God, because they're going to be the ones leading others towards that freedom, sharing about that freedom to others. And so this week, um, we're going to get essentially deeper into the reason for those elders, um, the reason that these leaders are needed. And in the context of Crete and the book of Titus, where it takes place, one of the biggest reasons that they're needed is to protect the church. And the church actually needs a lot of protection, um, because as we've talked about it before, on um, the island of Crete, where the book of Titus was written to, where Titus was working, it was an island known for piracy, um, for, as Paul said, a bunch of lazy gluttons and evil brutes. And what these new Christians and these little pop-up churches were experiencing on the island of Crete was essentially spiritual piracy. That they, people were getting saved, and these churches were popping up all over the place, and then people were coming in, and essentially seeking to steal some of that wealth, essentially seeking to shipwreck, to send these people off track. And so what Paul is writing to Timothy about, this pastor who's helping all these little churches, is he's going to tell him that they need to use their authority to silence these false teachers, to forbid people from listening to these false teachers, and to protect people from these false teachings. Um, and Paul talks a lot about false teachings. Um, almost every single letter in the New Testament that he wrote at some point addressed the idea of false teachers, almost every single one. Um, and one of the most immediate challenges that the first Christians experienced after the resurrection were these false teachers. These bad ideas about Jesus, these distortions of the gospel, these pictures of Christ that weren't actually Christ. They were a different Jesus that are being put before people in order to essentially pirate their faith, and pirate these people. And so we're going to see essentially what Paul says to do about these very difficult situations here in Titus chapter 1. And so if you'd follow along um, with us, we're going to be in verse 9 of Titus chapter 1. The words will be on the screen as well. And we're going to look here at what the book of Titus, at what God is instructing us as we continue to get a, a clear picture of the beauty and the challenges of church here from the book of Titus. So it's in Titus chapter 1 verse 9, that we will begin. We'll read through the end of the chapter here, verse 16. So Paul is talking about, he had just laid out the qualifications for elders. And he says that he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and, for, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said this, that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true, Paul says. Therefore rebuke them sharply, so that they will be sound in the faith, and that they will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions, but through by their actions, they deny him. 
They were detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. All right, that's a tough passage. Paul has some very strong words here. He has some strong words. He's speaking very harshly against this because essentially this is a very important thing for Paul that he wants us to take seriously. And what Paul is explaining to Titus is why these leaders are needed and why these leaders are needing to refute false teachers. And this is one of the big responsibilities. Big responsibilities. Refute false teachers and oppose and protect the church from heresy. Right? To protect the church from heresy. Heresy um, is a fun word. Uh, fun as in nobody ever likes hearing that. Uh, the first time I ever preached um, in my last church in front of what we call big church because the church had a bunch of different you know, places where you could teach and preach. There were all these different shepherding groups with a few hundred people. There was a youth group that I'd spoken a lot. There was a college group I'd spoken a lot. But then there was kind of the main gathering, which we called big church, where everyone was. And I always remember the first time I ever got to preach there, and I was really excited but really nervous, you know, because there was going to be a lot of people, and I'd have to do it five times. Um, but then I remember my pastor telling me, you know, okay, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. All these different tips. And then at the end, he said, now just remember, no heresy. <laughs> and he said that kind of jokingly, um, but obviously he didn't want me to do it. And so this idea of heresy, this idea of false doctrine, is something I think we really need to understand. We really need to pick up, because that is what Paul is telling Titus to do here, is refute heretics, refute heresy. And so you, Justin would have you look at a neighbor and tell them, you're a heretic, Right? So we can just do that right now. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you're a heretic. <laughs> right? There you go. Uh, but heresy is kind of a buzzword. It's kind of a word that gets thrown out there um, pretty flippantly, pretty carelessly sometimes, just like all of you just did. Shame on you. Um, but there are certain circles of Christianity, we know especially, where it's like some different circles of Christianity seem to just like to call everybody who disagrees with them um, heretics, um, except probably the people who are actual heretics, um, because essentially I think a lot of people have misunderstood the difference between false teachers and false teaching um, and just someone who teaches something that they think is false. Um, there's definitely a difference there. Um, and we don't have to get to that slide yet. We can go just backwards a little bit. Um, and then there are people um, on YouTube who have made like a whole career and have made a whole profession out of just heresy hunting. And if there is anyone who has ever had any ounce of fame or had more than like 500 views on a sermon, then they've found that video and they've figured out some way to condemn that person as a heretic, right? Super toxic. There are people out there who are just looking for heresy under every rock. Um, and then there are other circles within Christianity who, especially like if you get more into some of the charismatic circles, um, because they have been called heretics by everybody else for like the last 100 years, um, they believe the only heretics are the ones who call others heretics, right? And they just won't even bring up the word. That's just like a dirty word. And then you have essentially, there's kind of a new group of Christians just on the relationship with heresy here. There are people who call everybody heretic. There are people who won't call anyone. And then there's kind of a new group right now amongst self-identifying progressive Christians who actually are, are proud to be heretics. Um, it's a really strange, like, modern phenomenon where it's like they want to just go against the grain and they want to, like, not believe things that the church has always believed because that's cool. And they want to, like, believe things that the church has never believed because it's cool to be a heretic um, in their minds. And there's some really big, like, Instagram pages and podcasts out there, you know, called, like, The New Heretics or called Ex-Vangelicals right now. Um, and they love it. Uh, the more times someone calls them a heretic, it's like, that's their thing. Super weird. Um, and so these are kind of the three kind of predominant views and approaches 
to this idea of false teaching. It is one, we always want to just call everybody that disagrees with us a heretic. We don't want to even talk about the word. Or some people have kind of a weird fetish for it. Um, and I would argue that those three kind of common ways are not what Paul is expressing here. He has hard words, but we really need to understand how he's calling us to relate to these false teachings. Um, now, the word heresy, it literally means choice or it means faction, right? Essentially, it's choosing an idea or a conclusion that is against the already agreed upon conclusion and then making like a separate faction or a group around that. Um, and that's what Paul says here when he says that there are many rebellious people, right? These many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception. And so Paul says they're rebellious because the disciples had already laid down who Jesus is, what he did, and now what that means for us. And these other teachers are going around and essentially saying like, well, we don't want to believe that, or we want to believe that, but without this aspect. Then they have apparently a lot of really meaningless explanations for that. And so what heresy or this false teaching is, is choosing one specific theological idea and making that like the main idea that you believe, right? Choosing one idea that you just want to latch onto, and you're just going to have a faction based on that, even though the rest of the Christians and what has been laid down doesn't. Um, or what it can often look like is taking one specific idea out that maybe you don't like, and then making your whole little faction just the group that believes everything except that, you know, that one thing that most Christians believe, well, we're not like that. We took that part out, right? And so many do so thinking that they have, you know, often found a problem with Christianity, with the belief, and oftentimes people will want to pull an idea out, you know, thinking that we're helping God, that we're helping to purify the gospel, we're helping to purify what God meant, um, because there are ideas in Christianity that can make us uncomfortable. And oftentimes we fall into the trap of thinking, well, if it makes us uncomfortable, it probably makes God uncomfortable too. So, you know, we're doing him a favor if we can just pull these things out. Um, but what happens with false teaching, with heresy, is oftentimes we think that we might be purifying a belief or refining it, when really often what it's more like is a game of Jenga, where we think, okay, we're just going to pull this out and that will help things. Um, but if you've played a game of Jenga before, you know that it doesn't take long to remove a few bricks. Or even if you're real shaky, maybe just one brick is all it takes for the entire tower to come falling down. Um, and this is essentially the, the situation that's going on in Titus here. That people had been taking pieces out, adding pieces to the top, and in the end, it was going to lead to the entire tower falling down. And this is essentially one of the key aspects between what makes something just like an actual false teaching or a teaching that is false is we recognize that Christianity does have like a lot of gray, a lot of things that we have to discuss and we have to decide for. But what Paul is talking about here with these hard, hard words are the things that will lead to the entire gospel falling down, the things that will lead to complete distortion of who Jesus is, right? And so the key difference between a false teaching and a teaching that's just, you know, wrong is it causes the whole gospel to fall down. And so that's why in Galatians chapter 1, Paul said this. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all, Right? This different gospel. If Jesus said you're saved this way, well, these people have been teaching. No, actually, it works another way. We're then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul said, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And he's condemning them for that. that there was a different gospel, a different Jesus 
that is being shared here. And so what this means for us and what I think we have to see is these harsh words from Paul of, hey, here's how to respond in light of heresy and false teaching um, is actually a pretty narrow, pretty small area of teachings, right? That the way to address something like this in this way is only to address these very serious heresies here. It's things that are core to Christianity. It's denying Jesus. It's a different gospel, right? Things that completely distort the entire gospel. And I think this is a really important distinction for us to understand um, that what Paul is instructing here of, of rebuking sharply and of silencing these false teachers are not just on these you know, debatable, discussable issues, but he's talking about these core things that will cause the entire gospel to fall down, right? And I think if we understand that, then I think it'll prevent us from being like the wackos on YouTube who want to just call everyone a heretic. But to actually recognize, okay, it's the things that are going to lead the entire gospel to fall apart. And so that's where we get, essentially, okay, so that's what it is. That's what Paul is talking about in this situation. But then we get to that slide that we already saw, where there really are kind of two kinds of heresy, two kinds of false teaching. There is, of course, formal heresy, which is intentional. Um, You know what is held, you know what is believed or what is commonly taught in the scriptures, and intentionally you're being rebellious, teaching the opposite. And this is often what's called formal heresy, or this is just intentional heresy. But then, of course, there's what's called material heresy, which is just accidental heresy, right? Um, You accidentally believe something that the church has decided years ago is not true or is wrong. Um, And this is really important to recognize the distinction, because you cannot treat these two groups of people the exact same way. And you cannot treat these two issues the exact same way. Um, Because I guarantee you that all of us at some point in our lives have been material heretics, right? If you have not accidentally believed or talked about heresy at some point, then I would say you're not even trying. Like, this is going to happen to us as we continue to try to figure out this God that is so far above us. Um, But it's really important to make this distinction. um, Because... What Paul is calling this silencing and this rebuking of is not just people who like accidentally didn't understand it all, right? We have an example of how to handle those situations, the, the material heretics, the accidental heretics. Um, we can see that in Acts chapter 18. There was this guy named Apollos. He was a young hotshot preacher. And it says in Acts chapter 18 that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and he taught accurately of the things concerning Jesus though he knew only of the baptism of John, right? He only knew about repentance. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak boldly in the way of the, in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately, right? Um, and so Apollos there, he was an accidental heretic. Like he didn't mean to leave out like a really important part of the gospel. He didn't mean to make it sound like, hey, you're all just bad. You need to like straighten yourselves out. He just didn't know any better. He didn't know the whole truth. He was just missing part of the story, and it was by accident. And so Priscilla and Aquila here, they realize, hey, this guy has good intentions. He's not trying to build a sect or a faction around it. And so they, they go, and they explain the truth to him, and what appears to happen is he goes, oh, now I see the whole picture. And he teaches the truth the rest of his life, right? Um, so if you could imagine if Priscilla and Aquila treated him the same way that you would treat someone who's doing this intentionally, and if they just went up to Apollos and they're just like, you're a legalist, you're terrible, you're so evil, you're never going to preach in this town again, you know, like that would be probably pretty inappropriately because the poor guy just needed help. He just needed an explanation here. 
Whereas the people that Paul was talking about, so here in Titus chapter 1, he's not just talking about people that need a little explanation. Um, He's talking about people who they know they're going against what was accepted. They're doing that intentionally. And so these harsh words are not just for someone who's accidentally wrong about someone here. And this is a really important distinction because it was when, as you look throughout church history, it's when the church has really widened our view of heresy or just treated all like false teachings the same that if you look through church history, things got really weird um, for a long time. Uh, You can read about guys like Copernicus or Galileo who were scientists that were labeled heretics because of their theories about the universe that ended up being true. Uh, But nonetheless, they were viewed as heretics because they were teaching something that was a little different. And at the time, Christians didn't make the distinction between whether, one, is this like going to cause the whole gospel to fall apart? Or like, hey, is there something that we need to understand? And so this is really important. As we understand Paul's words here in Titus, rebuke sharply, silence these false teachers. This isn't just going out and arguing with everybody that has a different opinion than you, right? Because as we recognize with how God has revealed himself in the Bible, that there are a lot of different ways to explain things. There are a lot of different ways to explain theological beliefs. And we have to recognize that not all theological beliefs are exactly the same, right? Not every Christian thought is at the same level in terms of what we understand about, like, speaking in tongues. Um, Unless you're really, really weird, your view on speaking in tongues probably doesn't affect what Jesus did on the cross, right? Like, most situations, you're fine. Some people obviously can overblow it. Um, But there are different things that will cause the entire gospel to fall apart, like the virgin birth, if we're going to throw that out, well, Mary was probably just a young woman. Well, there becomes a problem then if Jesus isn't God, that there is actually no payment for sin. We're not actually saved. And you can see there the whole tower has fallen down. So it's important to make these distinctions that Paul is talking about these primary issues, these primary issues to defend, primary things to take seriously. And so not every wrong teaching is necessarily heresy. Some of them can just be false here. Um, and the second condition that really makes something heresy, that makes something a false teaching, that I think is really important for us as Christians to understand, is it has to actually claim to be Christian teaching. It has to continually cl- try to be Christian, for it to be an actual false teaching, according to what Paul is often talking about. Right? That the heretics that are teaching, especially in this situation, are still claiming to be Christian. They're claiming to be presenting the true Jesus. Um, because this is going to affect the way that we interact with others. Because essentially, if a person is not trying to teach anything about Jesus, if a person doesn't even believe about Jesus, they're part of a different religion, we're not going to interact and we're not going to correct in the same way that you would a Christian who is claiming this is who Jesus is and teaching opposite for someone who doesn't even believe in who he is. I think we really have to make that distinction so that we're able to talk to others who don't even believe about Jesus they might say something that doesn't fit with the entire gospel, but they don't even believe about Je- They don't even believe Jesus. And so what they need is just to hear about him. Um, Paul is not saying go rebuke them. He's talking about these people who are actually claiming to be presenting the real gospel. And so he's telling him with these harsh words, you must refute these false teachings, refute it. Now, what was the actual false teaching? Well, you kind of get a hint. Paul mentions it in the beginning there. There's one main kind of heresy that was being struggled with the most on Crete. um, And it falls into kind of a category of teaching that throughout the New Testament is often just a category of teaching or people that are often called the Judaizers. Uh, And especially in verse 10, we see what he means there, that one of these groups of Judaizers is 
what Paul calls the circumcision group, or the ESV says the circumcision faction, which is a really good band name. Uh, and there are some other versions that call it the circumcision party, uh, which is not a party I'd want to make a custom cake or balloon for. But essentially what this group was is a group that's referred to as the Judaizers, and they were trying to convince the early Christians that you still needed to follow the Jewish religious um, festivals, rituals, and purity practices in order to be saved. And so they were going around and they were saying, like, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. That's good. That helps a lot. But that doesn't just mean you're saved. Like, you still have to do A, B, C, and D. You can't just believe in him. And these Judaizers were having a really hard time recognizing just how freely Jesus had offered salvation here. And in Galatians that we read, that's actually the same false teaching that's being addressed there. And Paul has some harsh words for this same group in the book of Galatians, where these people who are saying that, no, you still need to keep all these practices in order to follow Jesus. Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you foolish people. He says, don't return to the law. Don't return to these rituals. Recognize that Jesus is the one who did all the work. Okay? And Paul is combating this so firmly because this is one of those things that causes the entire tower to fall down. Right? That we have to recognize that we are saved by grace just through faith in him. That's it. And this group is coming around saying like, well, no, you still need to do A and B and C. It's not enough just to believe. Faith isn't enough. They couldn't see how Jesus could have possibly offered salvation like that. And so to say this, to say that there is something that we must do to legitimize Jesus's work, it defeats the whole purpose of essentially Jesus dying for us, taking our punishment, of taking our failure to do good works on himself. Um, it defeats kind of the whole purpose. It doesn't work. So that's why Paul says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. So this is what Paul is talking about here. This group who is trying to say what Jesus has done, that's good, that helps, but it's not enough. It's not the whole story. And this is the big problem that they're facing, of Jesus not being enough. And what Paul says here is that what that led to was the addition of all of these human commands. So if Jesus isn't enough, well, these guys were coming in and saying, but we have <laughs> the things that are enough. And this essentially is always the issue that we're going to face, the issue of human commands versus God's commands, right? That usually the root of most heresies um, is a false, false teaching about what God has actually commanded and what some random people might want to push for what Paul says is dishonest gain. And so we always have to look at that as we see the different teachings around. Is this a command of men being added to the gospel? Or is this actually what God has revealed to us? It's commands of men versus the commands of God. And when Jesus was debating the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, he pointed out that the Pharisees had traded God's commands for their own. Right? They made all these other rules and all these other laws that they wanted to practice in order to be saved. And Jesus said that their worship was in vain, it was empty, it was pointless. And in that discussion of Matthew 15, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29. And he says this right to their faces. He says, these people come near to me, as he's quoting Isaiah. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. So we have to be aware of the same exact tendency. Um, that people can come up with rules, with myths that are added to the gospel. And Paul says, reject those. Those are empty. Those are meaningless. The instruction in verse 11 is, those need to be silenced. They must be silenced. And he says, rebuked. Rebuked sharply. Um, Which, I know if you hear that, uh, we could ask a show of hands of like, who loves to rebuke others? Um, if, if you raise your hand, and we'll probably have a talk later. Um, or who loves being rebuked? Um, probably no one. Good for you if you do. Um, but what this doesn't mean, the, one, this is going to be hard for us to hear, and so I think we have to explain kind of what this means, what this doesn't mean. Uh, what Paul is saying here of rebuke sharply, uh, this isn't a Bible passage you can turn to to say, finally, I have permission to be a jerk. Um, that's not what he's saying here. If you want to know those verses, though, talk to me later. Um, this doesn't mean you can just belittle people, make people feel dumb. Um, But what Paul is saying is that it is a responsibility to make it clear just how serious these kinds of errors are, this kind of actual heresy is. Like, make it clear how serious, how dangerous it is, right? People need to see how this wrecks the entire gospel, how adding this block or removing this block can make the entire thing fall down, right? This isn't just to say, you know, go be mean about it, but this is to take it very seriously and to not let people get away um, with saying these kind of things. Um, This isn't a situation where we can just say, yeah, agree to disagree. Paul says, no, these ideas are dangerous. They cause the entire gospel to fall down. We have to rebuke it sharply. And I recognize this really cuts across our modern sensibilities, especially if you're from the Midwest here, right? That this breaks the 11th commandment, which is to be nice. And so this gets really hard. And I recognize that this is really hard. And I want you to hear this, and I want to read it just because I know that this puts me at risk of sounding really old-fashioned or intolerant, but I think it still needs to be said. That people's lives are not changed, and they don't become sound in faith by us lying to them, flattering them, or failing to tell them the truth. And so I do think this is what's at stake. Paul says this can lead the entire gospel to falling apart in their lives. If these serious false teachings are just let run around. This is what's at stake. And Paul is making clear that the Cretans need to be shown freedom. And what the Judaizers, what the circumcision faction is bringing is not the freedom that Christ has offered. They're human commands, man-made rules. They're binding them to the law when Jesus has made them free. And so Paul is saying this needs to be addressed. And he's calling Titus there and the elders in Crete essentially to speak the truth in love to do this out of recognition of just how dangerous these ideas are. Just how dangerous it is. And then we have to get into, I think, essentially why this is so serious. Like, why is this such a big deal? Why do these ideas need to be addressed so seriously? Why can't we just kind of move on and say agree to disagree? And that is because I think we have to recognize just how dangerous heresy is, just how dangerous false teaching is. Um, and if you want a few reasons, I'll give you kind of three reasons for why not to be a material or not, why not to be a heretic, an intentional formal heretic. The first one I could say is just going to hell. That's probably a pretty good reason, right? Uh, formal heretics, Paul is saying, don't believe the gospel, right? They don't believe in Jesus. So 
wouldn't be saved. And Paul says in Galatians there that they believe a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. It's not good news. What Jesus has done, they've rejected. They've rejected. So I'd say not a good idea, um, that first reason. But if you're a material heretic, believe something on accident, you're not going to hell. You can relax. You can calm down. We've all done it. God knows your heart. Um, but formally, if it's like, yeah, I know what's believed, and I'm going against that, probably not wise. Probably not in a good spot. I'd say you're in trouble. Um, if people are just going around saying, like, yeah, no, Jesus' cross wasn't enough, okay, you're, in a, you're probably in a dangerous spot. Or, yeah, the Trinity's not real. Holy Spirit, not a real thing. Okay, you're probably in trouble. You should probably watch out. So that's one reason. Um, the second reason why I think this is so important and why we need to really take heresy, false teaching seriously, is that heresy makes us sick. It makes us sick. It's really destructive. and actually like corrupts us. It makes us sick. Look at verse 15 um, that we read. Paul says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Um, so Paul is not saying that if you're a Christian, hey, guess what? You get to believe anything. You get to do whatever you want. <laughs> um, sorry. First year bubble there. That's not what he's saying. Um, what he is saying is that someone's heart and mind become purified, like the way that we look at things is purified by Christ. But when our hearts and minds are impure, when we are not saved, that even the good things, even the things that are used for good can become impure, just like these Ritual laws, practices, they had become twisted and impure because of these people's hearts and minds. That we can twist things, we can twist good things to become bad, right? And so Paul is saying that's what a heretic does. That even the beautiful, pure message of Jesus somehow has become impure, somehow has become twisted, right? That if these Judaizers' message about Jesus is one of of legalism, of rituals, of ways for man to purify himself, that's completely corrupted. That is impure, even these good things. And so what Paul wants to be clear about here is this idea of purity, of just how these teachings can corrupt the way that we see everything. And then he brings up the issue of conscience. He says, their minds and their consciences have been corrupted. Right? So the conscience, it's that moral compass, you could say, that intuitive faculty inside of us that helps us to decide in situations what is right and wrong, what direction, where to go. And what Paul is saying here is that false teaching actually defiles our conscience. It actually makes our moral compass like not work properly. And so what we need essentially is the truth, right? We need to be enlightened by God's word. We need to be redirected. We need our moral compass essentially protected and purified from some of those bad ideas. Now, I don't know if you've navigated with a compass much. Probably not, because you have a phone. That's 2023. Um, but one of the most important things to recognize is that just having a compass doesn't actually help you that much with navigating. That you actually need a compass and a map. Um, because the way that a compass works is it works by taking you to G, um, a magnetic north. And if you've looked at the world, it's not a big flat thing. Uh, if you believe that, well, I guess we have some heresy to address. Um, but then there is a point on the tip that is called true north. And so a compass will take you to magnetic north, but it won't actually take you to true north. And so you need a compass, but you also need a map. 
Because there is a difference. You're going to end up in two different places. And if you were to just follow the compass directly, you would end up in a very different place if you're trying to head north. Um, North can mean different things depending actually on where you are on the earth. And so if you're in New Zealand and you're trying to head north with just a compass, it's going to take you in one route. And if you're in South Dakota and you're trying to head north, it's going to take you in a different route, just depending on where that magnetic north is. And so that's the important thing about a map and those lines that you see is those lines will actually help you to orient your compass to make sure that you are actually heading towards true north, that you're not just heading towards magnetic north. And so it's important to have this compass, but also to have this map. Especially because, I don't know if you knew this, but the magnetic pole, magnetic north, actually changes. It moves all the time. Every year it's moving. So this is just a chart of where it's moved just since, like, the 1800s. And you can see, even, it's moved significantly just since the 90s um, when I was born because the plates and because the world is moving and because it tilts on its axis and all this other complicated stuff. That The pole actually moves around. And we have to recognize that actually the time in which we're living, maybe even the time in which you're born, that has kind of affected our compass a bit. If you're born in the 90s like me, then I think you have to recognize that your compass has maybe been skewed a little bit. Um, Your compass pointing toward God's true north has probably been skewed on things like money or sexuality or the church This magnetic north seems to always kind of move, and we need a map to be able to see where true north actually is. And so while we have God's word and we can look at it and see, we have to recognize that as we come before God's word and as we read these things, that sometimes our compasses can lead us to twist and to misinterpret or to just explain away God's word simply because our consciences are here. And I think one of the things that he's suggesting here. Um, with these leaders and one of their purposes as being helping Christians to follow God's truth is that leaders in the church that we as the church are to be that map, to be able to see like, okay, yeah, this is what God's word says, but I think you're way off. I think you're interpreting it wrong. Like, yeah, you're headed towards North, but let me help to kind of show the lines on the map, which I think is what Priscilla and Aquila were doing that all of us have to recognize that our consciences in some way, depending on when we're born, depending on the point in which we're coming from on the earth, can actually lead us in little different directions. And so we can't just approach this and think, ah, we're going to do it on our own. And so that's what Paul is saying here. That to those whose minds have been essentially corrupted by these false teachings, that they need to be reoriented. They need to be helped and guided towards what is true north. Because essentially, they're following a broken compass And no matter how hard they try, they might not ever make it there, the true north there. Paul says we need to be aware of these false teachings because this can happen to us. If we sit under these false teachings, it's just going to lead us in the wrong direction. We can get off track and we can get lost. We'll be headed towards not the real gospel. And he says here that this is very important. This is one of the reasons that just what we believe is so important, that what we believe is so important. Um, Because essentially what you believe about God, what you believe about the gospel, that's going to be the direction you're heading in life. What we believe affects everything. This is the reason why Tozer, in the opening line of his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he said that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Because this is going to change your trajectory. This is going to change the direction in which you are navigating in life. What you believe about God. 
Right? If you believe that God is the one just waiting for you to fulfill these rituals, waiting for you to clean up your life, waiting for you to do all these things, well, that's going to affect your entire life. It's going to affect the way that you pursue him. It's going to affect what you believe about Jesus. So what we believe is really, really important. Paul makes it clear that actually these false teachings can defile a conscience and make all these pure things even impure. Final reason, very simple reason that I would say, if you need motivation for why not to believe false teachings, um, I think it's because in the end, Christ wins. And I think Orthodox right teaching about Jesus wins in the end. And it's a lot more fun to be a winner than a loser, right? You guys know that. You're all winners. Um, But Jesus is over and over again, that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church, right? And that Christ's truth will be revealed in the end. So I think when all of these different situations come up and it's tempting to maybe jump on the bandwagon here and there, I think just reorienting ourselves with God's word, regardless of how far away it seems like from that magnetic north from us, I think trusting that that is true direction that we want to go is important. So that's why this is important. That's why Paul uses such harsh language on it. Um, but then that essentially brings up the question of like, well, then how do we avoid it? How do we avoid false teachings? How do we rebuke in these cases? Um, and the first way that I would say we ourselves avoid hearing or avoid like listening and believing these false teachings, I think is we need a compass and we need a map, right? We need God's word. We need to be spending time in it. We need to be knowing it. Uh, but also we need to submit to godly leadership. We need to be interpreting with the body here. We need to be interpreting with church history, recognizing that a lot of the bad ideas that have come out um, that seem like they're new, that seem like they're, oh, this is like how Christianity has progressed in this way. Most of the time, Christians had to deal with that in like the year 380 already. Um, And there are all of these really cool little creeds and councils that take like 30 seconds to read, and they clear up a lot of it, where it's like, oh, no, this is actually how Christians dealt with that before. And so I think it's really important that one, we just spend time knowing God's word, but also with the church, with trusted believers, with godly leadership, um, to be able to line up that compass with the map to be able to see those lines. And I would especially encourage you, like look into um, some of the creeds that were put out, right? The church put out five creeds before the year 500 because all these false teachings were coming in. False teachings that like the Holy Spirit was just a force. We're not allowed to worship him. He's not part of the Trinity. And then a creed was adjusted or all of these different bad ideas that came out. And those have been handled for like 1500 years, but yet people on the internet still struggle with them. I would say, don't be like that. Trust me. It's not that difficult. And C.S. Lewis said, because we have to have our mandatory C.S. Lewis quote, that the man who has traveled the world is not likely to be deceived by the local legend in his village. And this is why I think looking through church history and especially just talking with other Christians is important because we can get really sidetracked by these silly little arguments. But if we have a full understanding of really like, how has the gospel been taught for 2,000 years? I think we won't be deceived by these small little things, by these small little ideas. And so one, I think if you have a Bible, which is a church history book, you're going to be fine. You're going to be safe. You won't end up a formal heretic. Um, And especially, I think, just really leaning into the idea that we need to sit under good, godly leadership. Uh, Paul tells Titus here that this is one of the main reasons that elders are needed in Crete. Elders are needed here. Leaders are needed here to protect people from these things. And I think this is important for us to understand as well, that we have 
leadership as a help. It's a help as protection here. Um, as Wayne Grudem in his like, you know, two and a half foot thick book on systematic theology, um, again, in like the opening line of this book, he says that historically, false doctrines often seem to be adopted by the theologians of the church first, by the pastors second, and by the elect lady last. And elect lady is like a really nerdy way of saying the church, we're Christians. Um, so even you guys, you're the elect lady because of the book of Third John. Um, but either way, what he's saying is that false doctrines, false teachings, usually are a leadership problem. Um, usually they didn't just come from some random person who, who took too long of a lunch break and got off track. That it's typically a leadership problem. That bad ideas tend to trickle down. So that's why Paul wants to install good leadership in, good godly leadership. And what this means is I don't think we need to just be overly critical and be looking for how our leaders can be messing up all the time. Um, but I think it's recognizing that if a leader is committed to the Bible, committed to truth, just aware of church history, we'll probably be pretty safe. But I think just submitting and recognizing, especially as we have conversations with one another where we're refining our theology, where we are helping one another to see the truth, just like Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, of just being patient and gracious with one another as we seek to try to refine the truth that leaders have your best interest in mind here. And then the third thing that I would say we need to really understand and grasp in order to avoid becoming formal heretics and in order for us to avoid some of the bad ideas that are out there is I think we need to learn to embrace mystery. Especially as we try to understand God, a lot of heretical views come out in kind of the really confusing aspects of theology, um, the mysterious aspects. Um, and I would just encourage you to recognize that mystery is what makes theology fun, I would say. Um, that theology being hard to understand is what makes me love learning about God, what makes me excited to follow a God that is bigger than me, that is transcendent from my brain, right? If it doesn't make total sense, right, that's usually why it's fun and exciting and thrilling. But a lot of heresy, a lot of bad ideas, a lot of bad teaching, especially like the one here in Titus with the circumcision faction, is that God's salvation of who is saved and who is not is completely invisible. I mean, well, then how do you know who's a Christian and not? And that's kind of Jesus, this whole point. He's like, yeah, I did this spiritually. It's kind of a mystery. And they're like, no, but we need to be able to see it. It needs to be evidence. We need to have a physical marker so that we can have confidence. And they weren't able to sit in the mystery and the trust that God has saved who he has saved. Right? And we need to be able to sit in that tension that we're made to live in. We're like, we can understand a lot of the beginning information. Okay, here's how it works. We can understand the end information. Okay, here's how that all comes to an end. But there will be a lot of information in the middle of how it all works together that might not make sense to us. And I just want to encourage us to embrace that. Embrace the beauty that that is. That the Trinity, okay, it kind of makes sense. Okay, God is three persons, um, distinct in personhood, but yet one in essence, right? God is three in one. How that works out in between is a bit of a mystery. There is a lot of information on that, but I think for us to sit in that and just recognize that God is allowed to be not fully understood by us, it's going to help us a lot as we work through this life, trying to know him, trying to understand him. And people will come with these quick, easy-to-remember suggestions or ideas that seem to make sense or seem to fill in the middle information when sometimes that middle information doesn't need to be. Sometimes we have to learn to just sit in the mystery, right? 
And so if we struggle with some of these things that don't make sense, I don't think we need to panic and think like, oh my goodness, I'm waffling in my faith, I'm struggling, I'm doubting God. You know, I think we just recognize that, well, some of this doesn't always make sense. And let that be an encouragement to seek to understand, not like I have to figure this out in order to believe, especially because I've seen it all too often where sometimes that middle information is really accessible. It's not too mysterious, but then people will say like, hey, you know, I get A, I get, you know, like how Jesus could be fully God, fully man, but like, you know, and that's kind of what's decided, but help me to understand the middle. And I'll like show that in order to understand the middle, there's like a lot of homework and a lot of Bible that has to be done. And then people go, no, I just want it to make sense easily. You can do the homework or you can sit in the ministry, in the mystery. <laughs> and so if you're willing to do that and you don't want to have like a family or a life or a job, then yeah, we can just learn every little in and out about everything. But there are a lot of different cases in our lives where we will have to sit in the mystery of who God is. And I think this is really important just in a lot of other aspects of our lives because if we can't sit in some of the mystery of like, well, how is God, how is Jesus fully man, but how is he fully God? And, and how is the Bible like written by people? And they like sign their names, but yet it was breathed out by God. Like if we can't sit in some of that paradox and some of that mystery, we're going to have a really hard time sitting in the situations of our lives, which don't really make sense. Sitting in the paradoxes of our lives, sitting in the mystery of the situations that we encounter. So we have to allow God to be bigger than us. And oftentimes, it's when these little simple explanations come in that that's when, that's when the false teaching works its way in. And so I just want to encourage us, especially as we see these harsh words from Paul, like these are stern warnings. They should kind of scare us, wake us up a little bit to say, well, okay, definitely don't want to be a heretic. Definitely don't want to be rebuked by Paul in this way. But also let this be an encouragement. <laughs> because I think we have to recognize that learning about God is a lot more fun and it becomes a lot more childlike when we recognize that what he's looking for is a people who love him and fear him. And we follow him with those guidelines of we want to get him right, but we recognize that there's going to be some mystery. There's going to be some trust. There's going to be some faith involved. I think we would be able to handle a lot of the doubts, a lot of the confusing theological ideas in our lives. And we'd be able to ignore a lot of the bad ideas if we had this childlike approach of trusting God, when maybe we know the intro level and we know kind of what the resolution is, but we don't get everything in between, we try to understand as best we can what I think makes following him, learning about him a lot more fun, a lot less pressure when we embrace the mystery of who he is. That when everything doesn't make sense, doesn't mean we've lost our faith like we're doubting, doesn't mean we're bad Christians here. We have to allow God to be a little bigger than us and not just take these simple solutions. So this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that these false teachers have come into Crete. They've completely taught a different Jesus. They've taught salvation in a way that Jesus never intended. He needs to be rebuked. He needs to be taken seriously. And so for us today, maybe people are not going around preaching this exact same thing, but I think we have to have these opened eyes to see well, what are the ideas that are tearing down the gospel, that are adding to it just human commands that are not in Scripture? And be able to confidently recognize when that is apart from God. Speak the truth and love in those situations. But even if we don't have a good answer for it, maybe we at least know what the church has decided throughout history. Maybe we at least are able to ask a trusted leader 
And it might not make 100% sense to us. And that simple explanation of like, yeah, well, there, yeah, there should be this visible sign might make more sense. But then we can sit in that mystery and be able to embrace that. That even if that doesn't fulfill every little inconsistency in our mind that we could think of, be able to sit in trust of God in the face of it. And I think doing that will help us to face the heretics in the world and the heretic inside of each and every one of us. And we'll be able to pursue Jesus with fear and with love and not get completely off track. And so it's to that end that we're going to continue in worship. We're going to thank Jesus for being the one who's revealed himself to us. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me as we continue on in worship? So Jesus, uh, we just want to be a people who know you. And we just thank you for opening our eyes to, to the pirates who want to throw us off from who you are. As we have already sung today, would you just open the eyes of our heart? Because we want to see you. And would you protect Common Ground Church as, as the world recognizes this deep hunger that we have for you? Um, we are a people um, easily swayed, easily sold something else. And so I just pray that you protect us, that our eyes would be so focused on you, that our compass would be so in line with who you are, um, that we wouldn't get thrown off by the wind and the waves, by every little teaching, by every little myth, by every little TikTok that comes across our screen, God, but that we would be able to hold fast in a direction that's pointing towards you. And God, I ask that you would empower each and every one of us um, to be that map, to be able to help our brothers and our sisters um, to navigate this life with all the confusion, with all the mystery, that we would be a people who would help to reorient one another towards you. That we would be a people who could do that lovingly. That as the church has done so poorly in the past with rebuking heresy and just going way over the top and, and, and taking out so many things that are not what you've instructed us to, that we would be a people with wisdom, of knowing what to defend, of holding the truth of the gospel primary, of knowing what to die for, what to divide for, but God, what is it that someone just needs a discussion about? What is it that someone just needs encouragement about? Give us the wisdom of knowing that. And God, uh, we just recognize that the safest place to be is to be a people who see you fully and who are focused on you. And so now it's in this time that we just turn our eyes and our gaze on you. So would you reveal yourself to us? Would you paint a picture of the true Jesus to us as we turn to you in worship? That's from that place of meditating on you that we can move in this life with confidence in the direction you've called us to. And so Jesus, we love you. We just turn to you in praise. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue on in worship?
So maybe in light of this, um, you've sensed God calling you to respond in some way. Um, I just want to give you the freedom now to respond in that way. Maybe if, if you're sensing God call you um, to come up front to spend time in prayer, or maybe just in your seat, spend time in prayer, or maybe God is calling you to respond to this by grabbing someone who's in here and asking, like, hey, could we talk about this thing that I'm really struggling with um, over lunch? Or maybe it's just to hold up, open your hands now as you receive the benediction. But I would just encourage you, if God is calling you to respond in some way, um, would you not overlook that? That oftentimes he calls us to respond in the physical to the things that he's doing in the spiritual. Uh, but would you receive these words from the end of the book of Jude as a benediction? And this is the same benediction from last week, but I just sense God reminding us that this is what we need to hear in the face of all this. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God and Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen. So grace and peace, Common Ground Church. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week.